0: Welcome to Watchman on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. Today, we begin a fascinating new look at the biblical, historical, and scientific evidence for creation and the flood with Dr. Douglas Petrovich. And then a little later, Josh Davis will have a One World Update. Friends, our largest conference of the year is almost here. Columbus, Ohio, October 26th through the 28th. This massive conference will feature over a dozen speakers, including our special keynote speaker, Jonathan Kahn. Registration is open and seats are filling up. Call 1-800-652-1144 and secure your spot. Don't miss your opportunity to hear Jonathan Kahn live in person. Visit the events page of our website, swrc.com. There you'll find a complete lineup of speakers, topics, and schedules, all at swrc.com. Simply click on events or give us a call, 1-800-652-1144. And don't forget about our special one-day prophecy conference in Des Moines, Iowa, featuring Michael Hoggard, Micah Van Hus, and Josh Davis, Saturday, September 30th. Register today by calling 1-800-652-1144 or visit swrc.com and click on Events. A fascinating new look at the biblical, historical, and scientific evidence for creation and the Flood begins right now with Clayton Van Hus and today's guest, Dr. Douglas Petrovich.
1: We're glad to have you on the Watchman on the Wall program. I'm your host today, Clayton Van Hus. And we're going to be speaking with someone who's very special to me. Uh, We're speaking with Dr. Douglas Petrovich about his work in the Is Genesis History videos. So without much further ado, I would like to introduce my friend, my professor, an epigrapher, archaeologist, Bible scholar, and many more things. Dr. Douglas Petrovich, Dr. P, how are you?
2: Great. How are you today, Clayton?
1: Oh, I'm doing very well. It's good to hear your voice.
2: Good to hear yours, and I'm glad to be on the show with you.
1: It's exciting times, isn't it? It sure is. So I want to talk to you today about one of your projects. It's a project that I first became familiar with a couple of years ago, before I ever met you. In fact, it's one of the things that led me into the field of biblical archaeology, where I am now. Was watching you on the Is Genesis History film, and uh, you're also in the Is Genesis History Volume 3, Bible and Stars, Beyond is Genesis History. I want to talk to you about those. First of all, let's talk a little bit about who you are, your background. Dr. Petrovich, what is it you do?
2: Well, a lot of things, Clayton. So I'm a former pastor, current seminary professor, certainly someone who loves the Bible and loves history. So God kind of used those two fields, those two loves, brought them together for me allowed me to have a ministry that really kind of delved pretty deeply into both. And um, the most fun I have is when they, the two combine, where I can study history and see how the artifacts and the archaeological finds relate to what we read about in the history of the Bible, because history is extremely important to the Word of God. Our faith, the Christian faith, is rooted in history. For example, you just take one very important moment in the Bible, and that's the death and resurrection of Jesus. If that wasn't a physical event that happened to a person, an actual person, at a point in time, specific on the timeline, then our faith really is not rooted in anything actual. It, it's it's just it's just hearsay. But because of the fact that history points to certain events that happen at certain moments in time, we can look back and see what God did and understand the importance that those things have for us. So. My background mainly is in all of those areas that fit together, the study of the Bible and history itself.
1: Great. You know, I really like what you said, because it is about real people, real places, real events. It's why we do this. So, Mm -hmm. okay, tell me a little bit about what kind of work you've done, where you've been, where you've traveled, just a minute or two to let us know a little about you.
2: Sure. And I suppose maybe the best place to start is the 10 years that I spent in Siberia, Russia, where I was asked to start a Christian seminary from scratch, working with a certain Baptist denomination in Russia. And so we went there for 10 years and basically built into the the young people who were training to be pastors, and a few of them already were pastors who, who were among our students. And then we trained the best of the best there to take over for us. And so by the end, we pretty much worked ourselves out of jobs and trained them to take over for us. So that's probably, I would say, the best 10 years of my life. It was just an amazing time, and it really gave me opportunity to to learn how to administrate, learn how to teach uh, much to a much greater degree, and, uh, and really learn what ministry is all about in a context where there are challenges, I mean, like you can't believe. I mean, if you think it's challenging to do ministry in the United States, it's way more challenging to do it in foreign countries where you don't have necessarily all the luxuries that we have here. That, that's probably where I would start. And then I've been a part of three archaeological digs, two in Israel, one in Turkey, Khazor, the largest Canaanite city in Canaan. That was the first dig that I was a part of, and then I was part of the, uh, the dig at Teltayanat in the Amuk plain in southeastern Turkey, that's ancient Syria. And that was a fantastic site, very important, and uh, I wrote my dissertation related to that. And then the final dig that I've been a part of is um, at Shiloh, uh, one that you're very familiar with.
1: (laughs) Yes, I just returned from our current dig there. So great. So we have a little bit of background on you, and of course I mentioned you were a professor. You taught me in Bible classes, in archaeology classes, and in Hebrew, biblical Hebrew. So wow, Mm -hmm. exciting. So let's talk a little bit about our project here. What is... Is Genesis History?
2: Great question. And I suppose I'll just put it in my own terms if I could. I think Is Genesis History Best is summed up as it's a documentary franchise that started with a question that a young girl asked her father, who was a Christian filmmaker. And her question was and basically, in the school where she was going, I think it was a public school, they were pretty much pushing the theory of evolution as true and not giving other options, she came home and she said, Dad, they're, they're really pushing this on us, but I'm not so sure it fits well with what's in the Bible. Can you help me understand what the Bible says about the origin of all things and um, the origin of the earth and how mankind came into being and, and, and all of this? Help me to see the difference in what's in the Bible versus what's in, in the theory of evolution and, and what's the evidence for, what's the scientific support? That can that can help the what we read about in the Bible kind of stand up against the scholarly attacks and secular attacks. So that's where it all started. And the filmmaker is Thomas Purifoy. He's from Nashville, Tennessee. Just a wonderful man. He's the brains behind the whole operation. Worked extremely hard and put together an incredible franchise. And the second film, as we speak, uh, was just finished about a week or ten days ago, something like that. And it's going to be, um, I'm not sure exactly all of the platforms it's going to be available in, but it will be ready to view pretty soon. And then hopefully there will be a start on a third in the series.
1: Oh my, that's, and they've been putting out a lot of supplementary material. We've got the DVD, the actual documentary film featuring Dr. Douglas Petrovich, with whom we're speaking today, is Genesis History, the DVD hosted by Del Tackett. And we also have Beyond Is Genesis History, Volume 3, Bible and Stars, which features you, Dr. Petrovich, talking about the Tower of Babel. That is exciting.
2: It is. And in- can I add this, Clayton? The, the, film, the original film, the Is Genesis History film that you mentioned uh, in DVD form, when, when that came out in the theaters, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, February of 2014, well, that summer... It was the number one, in all of Netflix, it was the number one documentary film watched. Wow.
1: That is, that is quite a, uh, an accomplishment there. And I've seen it, I've seen it multiple times. I just re-watched it the other day because, of course, you know I, I had to prepare myself. Even though I'm very familiar with the, the film, it is enjoyable to watch over and over. And as I said, it was, it was you, before I ever knew you, watching you in this series. That I said I need to learn that stuff, you know what what you're doing in this and what real quickly here, what is your part in the film? What do you do in the film?
2: Sure, and let me just correct myself. I said 2014. I was thinking of a different film. That's 2017 that it came out. That's the right year. Uh, so my part in it is to address the topic of the Tower of Babel. So lots of the focus of the film is on earlier time periods, especially related to the flood and the post-flood world. And it went far enough in history where it covers the Tower of Babel, and it pretty much stops there. So my role was trying to understand, can we can we link together the story in Genesis 11 about all those events we read where the people came together, they built a city, they built a tower, and and God confused their language because He was unhappy that they were not only not spreading out on the earth like God had instructed Noah, but they were attempting to exalt themselves in the building of this structure. So my role is to try to see if we can find where that site was and for the city, and then is there a tower that can represent what we read about in the text?
1: Absolutely. I want to ask you some specific questions on that. But first, I want to remind our listeners, if you are interested in purchasing either DVD as Genesis history or beyond as Genesis history, or to purchase the two of them as a a pack of resources. You can do that on our website, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. You can also call us, call us toll free at 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Now, Dr. Petrovich, you talk as you were saying about the Tower of Babel. And we all have as Christians these ideas about the Tower of Babel that we we maybe we learn from flannel graph boards or children's Bible story books and not that these are incorrect, but we have a picture in our mind that may not be a historical cultural picture. Can you describe the world? Was everyone in the world at Babel? Uh, what was going on in the world at the time the tower was being built? Sure.
2: And that's a great question. And I'll start it by saying, Clayton, first of all, there's much more that we don't know than what we do know. But I think now that, that I'm confident we can locate the proper site and the proper building that's the tower, that we can address some of these things. There was at that time a, uh, a, an outward expansion, a movement of people out from Mesopotamia to other parts of the Earth. In fact, there were two movements. And, um, when I was in a PhD course at the University of Toronto, I actually did my research paper on this this the contrast between comparison and contrast between the earlier movement called the Ubaid expansion and the later movement called the Uruk expansion. And in that study, I wanted to see if one of them seemed to to have all the indicators of what we would expect to see from an outward movement of people from Mesopotamia that reflects a moment in time where there's great stress because of the confusion of languages, and all of a sudden, for the first time in history, people can't communicate with one another. So I did a study on that and became convinced that the Uruk expansion is the right one of the two. It has all the characteristic features that you would expect. So the world at that time, yeah, the world at that time probably, it's best to say, was not all gathered at one place. The Bible doesn't really tell us one way or another whether all the people on Earth were gathered here at this city or just some were there. It's inconclusive. But once I found the right time period, the right Mesopotamian archeological period, and the right site, I became convinced that not all of the world was together in one place because at this time, the later root period, there were many settlements just throughout Mesopotamia alone. And it's probably... In the dozens or the scores, it's that many.
1: Right. There there are a lot of candidates for the original Babel. I mean, we've got Babylon, and we've got so many other cities, Ur and um, Eridu, and so many cities. And we're going to talk in just a moment about the site you've, you've been looking at. But let me ask you a question for our listeners. You've mentioned this word expansion, and specifically the Uruk expansion. For someone who knows nothing about archaeology or Mesopotamian periods, What is that? What is an expansion, and what is Uruk?
2: Sure. As anyone could probably guess, in the ancient world, just like today, there's a lot of trade. People are constantly, throughout history, have been moving from one place to another, selling their wares or um, selling their products that they've made nowadays in factories and so forth. So there are large shipments that go out. But in the ancient world, it was a little more simplified, and it was mainly... One or one person or several people together who would take their products, their wares, and go from one site in the ancient world to another, and um, and so that's normal trading. But the difference, uh, there, there's a big difference here between these two expansions I was referring to, and just normal movement as as a part of trade. And as archaeologists, we can usually, not always, but we can usually tell the difference between the two. And So these, these two expansions are actual outward movements of people. In other words, these aren't traders going somewhere, selling, and returning home. These are people permanently relocating. They're, they're emigrating from where they were, and they become immigrants where they end up. Which is and what so, the
1: Bible tells us about Babel, that the people left and settled elsewhere.
2: Yes, absolutely. And Mesopotamia, southern Mesopotamia, in, in the area of Shumer, that's the the place from where this movement took place. The biblical Hebrew term for that is Shinar. It's usually transliterated in English translations, but it's more more properly understood and and um, and referred to as technically Shumer, but usually pronounced Sumer.
1: Right, right. We've all heard of Sumer and Mesopotamia, and and we have a mm-hmm. vague idea of this. But now you're really looking into this. So tell me about the the candidates for the Tower of Babel, for the site of Babel.
2: Sure. And as you were alluding to, there were numerous sites in the ancient world in Mesopotamia and around Mesopotamia that were called Babel by the ancient sources, the ancient writers in Akkadian or Sumerian or other ancient languages. And, and I think the number is, forget the exact number, it's around seven or eight cities that were named. Babel. And, of course, the one that we know, we think it's the only one, but it's not. We know the one of Daniel's day, where Nebuchadnezzar II, the king of the Neo-Babylonian Empire, in 587 came and invaded and took over Jerusalem and sacked the city and basically killed most of the people there, and the survivors were taken off into captivity in Babylonia. We know all about that, Babylon, but there are others as well. Some of them in in the southern Mesopotamia, some in central or northern Mesopotamia, and others outside of Mesopotamia, and so because we know the right area for the outward movement that according to the Bible, it has to be the plain of Shinar, which is in Schumer, and all the other candidates that are in the north or outside of Mesopotamia, we can safely remove them from the possibility that they would be the right site. and so really we're we're mainly looking at sites at in in Schumer itself that would be um, viable candidates
1: okay, and I keep hearing and and reading about these massive ziggurats and these structures that have been found and oh, there was a big one here, there was a big one there this is the real tower of Babel or this one was never completed or this one you know fell down or or what I keep hearing, but they're all different sites how do we how do we look at that from a biblical perspective
2: sure and w- what I concluded, Clayton, is that the right site for the Babel of Genesis 11, and again, it's, it's not necessarily Daniel's Babel, but the Babel of Genesis 11 is the site of Eridu. It's the, it's the only site that, of all the candidates that were named Babel that was occupied as early as the late Uruk period, and that's another requirement for the site. Because um, this matches the time, timing of that expansion, that outward movement of people who resettled all over the ancient Near East, including as far as Egypt to the west. So all of that movement was, was outward from the, the land of Shumer, And the right site for that is Eridu. And Eridu, fascinatingly enough, has the world's oldest, earliest ziggurat that was built there. And the ziggurat built at Eridu wasn't completed in the late Uruk period. In fact, the city was abandoned. The city of Eridu was abandoned. And what do you know? That's one of the biblical requirements for the right site of Babel. They didn't complete the building of the tower, according to Genesis 11, because of this confusion. It was so emotionally unsettling for the people that they just left. They moved out. And the largest city that's near Eridu is the site of Uruk. And wouldn't you know, in the, at the end of the late Uruk period and into the next phase called the Jemdet Nasser period, that's the next phase in, in Mesopotamian archaeological periodization, in that period, the site of Uruk swelled like a pregnant woman. I mean, it just was an enormous influx of people that occurred. Well, that makes perfect sense to us, if indeed the outward expansion of people from Babel, which is Eridu.
1: Wow, we have an archaeological site that dates to the right time. It's in the right place. We see an expansion of people headed out. This looks like Babel in the Bible. Now, we're going to come back tomorrow. We're going to come back on our our next episode to hear more about the Tower of Babel, to hear about uh, where it was located and when this happened, Uh, You can listen to our next broadcast. In the meantime, I would like to direct you to our website, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Where you can purchase is Genesis History, the film with Dr. Douglas Petrovich. Uh, You can also purchase Beyond is Genesis History, Volume 3, in which we have a lot more behind-the-scenes talk about the Tower of Babel. So you've been listening to Watchmen on the Wall with our guest today, Dr. Douglas Petrovich. Tune in next time to hear the rest of this fascinating story of Babel.
0: Is Genesis History 2 DVD Collection is a fascinating new look at the biblical, historical, and scientific evidence for creation and the flood. Learn from more than a dozen scientists and scholars as they explore the world around us in light of Genesis. These DVDs explore the fascinating fields of archaeology, astronomy, biblical studies, culture, and theology. Learn much more about the stars, the moon, the Tower of Babel, the Hebrew text, and the history of interpretation of Genesis in these new DVDs featuring scientists from the documentary. Order today, Is Genesis History? 2 DVD set, when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order on our website, swrc.com. Staff Evangelist Josh Davis is ready to share the latest information on the move to a complete one-world system.
3: The United Nations is gearing up for its Summit of the Future in 2024. Now, that doesn't sound ominous at all, does it? This summit will help the UN find pathways forward to achieving its Agenda 2030, announced the UN back in 2015. This Agenda 2030 includes 17 Sustainable Development Goals for the world to reach by the year 2030. and These 17 goals include things like no poverty, zero hunger, good health and well-being, quality education and access to clean water and sanitation. I address this agenda in my One World Update at Southwest Radio's Clarity to the Chaos conferences this year, and one of the big questions I try to address is, what's wrong with these goals? And I'll let you in on my answer today. You know, only a heartless person would say that these are bad goals. And let's take that goal of zero hunger as an example. I don't want anyone going hungry anywhere in this world. And I dare say the Christian worldview has done more to advance aid to the poor than any other worldview. Helping the hungry is noble and it's biblical. But there are massive questions hanging in the air. First, how do we define these terms? How are we going to know, for instance, when there's zero hunger on earth? Is there any way to measure this goal? So the UN spells out its answer for us in their Agenda 2030. For their Zero Hunger initiative, they list five goals that have three action steps. And so as we explore these details, I hope that you're going to see that it's not the goal of Zero Hunger that's wrong. It's the way that they propose we reach that goal. So the UN's first two goals to end hunger are the kinds of things that you might expect they want to see uh, the elimination of malnutrition by giving people year-round access to nutritious food i see absolutely nothing to argue there their third goal to end hunger is very subtle so i want to unpack it for you here's what it says quote by 2030 double the agricultural productivity and incomes of small-scale food producers in particular women Indigenous peoples, family farmers, pastoralists, and fishers, including through secure and equal access to land and other productive resources and inputs, knowledge, financial services, markets, and opportunities for value addition and non farm employment. End quote. Notice that they want to double the income for people groups listed by giving them secure and equal access to land and financial services friends this is blatant marxist communism the way they want to end hunger is by redistributing the wealth and by taking away private property ownership they don't hide their plan it's there for all to see and i find it very curious that the last line of this goal says that they want to double the agricultural productivity and incomes through, quote, non-farm employment, end quote. How do you improve food production by moving people out of farm employment? And here in the U.S., some farmers have been paid not to farm. That is a big question that leads to a couple other major topics, like climate change and artificial intelligence. Simply stated, artificial intelligence and other technological advances could push humans out of the agricultural job market almost entirely. The climate change agenda also plays a major role in the global government. The fourth goal, to end hunger, states, quote, by 2030 ensure sustainable food production systems and Implement resilient agricultural practices that increase productivity and production? They're redoubling their efforts to meet these goals over the next seven years. So we must open our eyes to what's happening around us and we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the conquering king who is still on the throne. If we are with Him, we are on the winning side. Anchor your hope in Him. Look for my book, Rise of the One World Mind, available later this year from Southwest Radio Ministries. I discuss these things in greater detail to help us understand what's going on and how to face it with faith instead of fear. I leave you with the words of Jesus to His followers found in Luke 21, 28. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption
0: draweth nigh. Is Genesis History 2 DVD Collection is a truly fascinating new look at the biblical, historical, and scientific evidence for creation and the flood. Learn from more than a dozen scientists and scholars as they explore the world around us in light of Genesis. Order your copy of Is Genesis History 2 DVD Set when you call 1 800 652 1144. Tomorrow, Dr. Douglas Petrovich will continue his look at the evidence that shows Genesis is indeed true history. Be sure to tune in. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners just like you. Please visit our website,
2: swrc.com.